Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Jesse Peterson. All right, good morning. Welcome to Northgate. How are you? Good, good. My name is Jesse Peterson. I'm an associate pastor here. Most of the time you see me uh, uh, leading uh, worship with my guitar. Uh, today we had the pleasure of Kent Peterson being here. Why don't you just give him another round of applause? Kent uh, is a brother from another mother, and uh, we've been good friends um, for quite a while in ministry, and I just, I I love his heart, and I love his uh, musical ability, and I knew that uh, he'd bless you. He'll be back. I'm going to be gone with my family uh, in Oregon on Thanksgiving. He'll be back to be here to to bless you guys with that again, and I'm going to ask him maybe to do another special guitar piece. What do you think about that? Maybe a little bit? I guess that's what we're going to do. So, um, I, I... I'm so thankful to be here. I want to say a few thank yous. I'm not usually up here, so I'm going to take the time I need. (laughs) Um, To a group of people who are incredibly loyal, incredibly um, just smart. Um, They're here before I get here. They're here after we leave. Um, They make this service be what it is. I just want to say a big thank you to our tech team this morning. Big thank you. Part of that tech team, uh, Ron and Mary Ann Fink. Uh, Ron Fink donates a lot of time, a lot of effort, energy into our tech team. Uh, he runs the team. He, he works with everybody. Um, um, also, I forgot to mention in the first service, but we saw back there is Art Stein. He runs our video team. So, um, Ron and Mary Ann Fink, they're celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary. I don't even know if they want me to tell you that. They're not here this week, so I've got something special. I've got some happy anniversary cards at the help desk. Um, if you really want to bless them, just go write a little happy anniversary note in there very quick. There's three of them out there. Um, it'd be great for those to be filled up. So um, some people in the first service already did that, but they're out there. Um, I also want to say thank you on behalf of my family. My wife and I just continually feel incredibly loved here. Um, you may see my little son running around, the screaming child. The 11 o'clock doesn't see him as much because he's, he's going to go take a nap soon, but um, he's running around. Um, we're super excited. In April, on April 11th, we're expecting a little baby girl. So, yeah, pretty exciting, um, uh, very, very exciting. We know exactly how hard it is to get and to stay pregnant and all of that, and so we just see this as a true blessing from God. We're so thankful. Our little baby girl, and I'm in trouble already. I know it. Um, so I want to say thank you for all the love you guys have shown me and my family. Um, something important you're going to need today is a thing called the Bible, okay? So you're going to need that. If you don't have it on your Um, Your iPhone, if you don't have it on your Android, if you don't have it on your iPad. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not biased. I just just stroke my iPad right here. (laughs) If you don't have something electronic to look at with a Bible, we're going to be at a Luke 11, 37. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Um, If you don't have that, then there's this crazy thing. um, it's, It's got paper and you can flip it and turn it, and it's, and it's got written words on it. It's amazing. We've got it in our seats here. It's old and archaic, I know. But if you didn't bring one, that's okay, or you don't have one. Everybody's going to need one, because you're going to feel lost if you don't have one. So um, there are some scattered throughout the, the church here this morning, um, so grab those. Luke eleven thirty seven, and in most of the church Bibles, that is on page 950. Okay, So if you're lost there, on most of the church Bibles, that's on page 950. I got told that on a few of them it's not, so just an FYI. Luke eleven thirty seven. We've been studying Luke, and we've been on the first chapter of Luke uh, for this is week thirteen. <laughs> 
Um, week 30, can you believe it? You can't, it's, it's crazy. We've been this long in one half of a book. We're only into chapter 11. Um, what we believe is that we've got to change the way people view the church. And who better to study who did that was the man who started it, Jesus Christ himself. So that's why we're in Luke. We're in the first half of Luke. We'll go into a Christmas series here very soon. It's my favorite time of the year. Pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> Expanding waistlines. It's beautiful. And then we go into um, the next uh, year, we're going to start off and we're going to start off Luke part two. We're going to go through the last 12 chapters of Luke, finishing with the resurrection of Christ on Easter. How convenient is that? So we have been doing this study in the series uh, for the main reason of we, we can't change the way people view the church if we don't know who started it and why he started the church. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so let's get into that. Let's read the scripture. Luke eleven thirty seven. And we're going to go all the way through 53. So if I read quickly through some of it and you get lost, um, you'll know where I'm headed and I'm going to end. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked grave, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you, experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you prove what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill with, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. That is our scripture passage for today. You're going to want to keep a hold of that because we're going to go through it again verse by verse and just learn some of the story and why it's there. But first off, let's look at a little bit of context to the story, a little bit of context. Anytime you read scripture, it's very important. You got to read a little bit before. You got to read a little bit after. You got to understand who it's written to, why it's written, and that helps you to understand what is being spoken here. And Jesus was essentially just outside with thousands of people, Okay. He was outside with thousands of people, um, and there was miracles happening, and there was uh, many sermons happening, and lots of things where lots of people were touching him. He was touching lots of people. We're in 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. It's not exactly the cleanest place, um, and that's the kind of the context of our story. Um, and the rest of it goes as this, and that's those who were supposed to get it. Again, we learned they just did not get it. Continually throughout the book of Luke, we understand those who were supposed to understand did not get it. They did not get it. And we're going to learn a lot about that right here. Um, so 
um, a Pharisee asked Jesus to come into his house. Now, it doesn't say why the Pharisee asked Jesus to come into his house. It just says that a Pharisee did ask Jesus to come into his house. It doesn't say it could have been one because uh, uh, the reality could be that uh, the Pharisee was, was not excited about him preaching to 2,000 peoples and kind of stirring up the mass. He could have asked him to come inside to kind of get him out of that. He could have asked him to come inside because he wanted Jesus to come to a meal at his house. We don't know. We don't know. But here's the reality, friends, is that when you ask Jesus into your house, he's coming in. That's it. I'm done. That's it. That'll preach. That's what my friend from the Midwest used to say. That'll preach. When you ask Jesus in your house, he's coming in. Okay? No matter the circumstances, no matter uh, the reality of the situation, you ask him to come in, he'll come in. So the, the kind of the setting to this is, is that Jesus walks in and he lays down and he kicks back and the Pharisee notices that he's not washed his hands. Now, how many of you guys uh, wash your hands before a meal? How many of you guys do that? All right, everybody else look around. Those are the dirty people. Look at them. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, of course I do. I totally don't, but I do. So it's really important. It's kind of like my, my wife and I. It reminds me of my wife and I. We, we took a group of, of young adults to Nairobi, Kenya, and we worked in the slums for a few weeks there. And the slums are not small. They're huge. In fact, in the size of Central Park, there's over a million people in a place called Kibera. And there's over a million people with the HIV rate of over 60%. Raw sewage running down the streets, no running water, tin shacks built on top of dirt, could be blown over at the slightest hint of wind, I swear. That was the context we were in, and we brought 10 young adults in with us to go in there. And we were working in there, and we were taking time with the people. And man, you're there all day, and you can imagine what happens to your hands a little bit. And you can imagine that you kind of start feeling the germs a little bit because it's super smelly and it, it's got all sorts of different things. And so a bunch of the American young adults, how many of you guys right now have this in your purse or your, I don't know, fanny pack, I don't know, uh, Purell, Purell, sanitizer, some hand sanitizer. Yeah, there was a lot of that being busted out because we were going to eat dinner in the slums. Now we had just been working and doing things in there all day. And if you understand something about um, Kenyan meals, is that a, a very traditional one is it's a beef stew with a thing called ugali. And ugali is corn maize mashed up. And that's basically, if you haven't had it, I love it, other people don't. It's basically like really thick mashed potatoes. And you take it, and then you take it, and you dip it in the soup, and then you put it in your mouth. So you can imagine all these people, all these young adults. I'm not a germaphobe, though. I was like all in. Give me some ugali and some of the soup, and let's go. I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. I am African-American. I know what it is. I'm not joking. I'm Af- I-, I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. My parents were missionaries there. I left when we were two. I don't remember much of it. My mom says I was a boy genius. I was. <laughs> I could speak five different languages when it came down to it. We lived in a village area where lots of different languages were being spoken. I could speak five different languages. And not I couldn't like, have a conversation with you. I just knew how to ask you for food. <laughs> so my mom and dad would send me out to play with the other kids. And I'd come back naked, because they were. And I'd come back full. <laughs> so my stomach was fine with it all, but the rest of them were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so when we look at this context, when we look at the context of the story, we could think that's what it is. The Pharisee is grossed out that there's thousands of people out there and Jesus is not washing his hands and it's dirty and it's gross and he's coming and he's laying down and the Pharisee's like, oh my gosh, this guy, <laughs> this guy's a wild man. He's not even washing his hands. That's not the context something really important to understand about the Pharisees. They get kind of a bad rap in the New Testament because, well, 
Um, they kind of, you know, <laughs> killed Jesus. No big deal. <laughs> no, they get a bad rap in the sense of that, but they weren't seen as a bad group of men, a bad group of individuals. They were a civic political sect of, of Judaism that cared deeply about purity, cared deeply about purity. And the reason they cared deeply about purity was not just because they liked to be clean. It's because they believed that the reason God had punished them by, with Roman rule and had punished them and had left them and had said that, that God wasn't talking with them for 400 years, the reason that had happened is because they weren't pure. And they believed that if the nation of Israel would purify themselves, that God would come back to them and God would guide them again and then they could overthrow the rule of the government and all of that. Does that make sense? So this wasn't just like a, a cleanliness thing. The Bible in the first five books is called the Torah, and that was their law. And there was laws in there about how to live clean. And you can imagine for a group of uh, people living out in the desert trying to survive, cleanliness was a pretty important thing. So that was a part of it. But this was so much more, so much more. The Pharisees had an entire elaborate scheme on how to wash your hands. Everything had a total elaborate scheme. Not so that your hands would be super clean and washed. I mean, they say, wash your hands and sing the happy birthday song, and then you know you're done. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a grandiose scheme that everybody knows, hey, that guy, that guy takes purity really seriously. That's what this was about, okay? So Jesus says, he, he goes in and he lays down, and it says right there, it says in verse uh, 37, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him in to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So this is so much more, friends. This is so much more than Jesus didn't care about germs, Okay, because he's like, I'm the son of God. I don't need to worry about germs. It's not that at all. It's something so much more. Okay? <clears throat> Jesus was doing it on purpose. And he's about to lay out to them. He's about to lay out to them something very important. And that is the fact that purity and generosity go hand in hand. And that's a point for your bulletin there. Purity and generosity go hand in hand. And he's about to lay that out to them. Okay? Let's read that. Let's read that again. In verse 39 says this, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. This was a total understanding they knew. They knew this. It was Jewish tradition that if you owned a field and you harvested that field, you would not harvest all the way up to the boundary of your field. You would leave some there. And that was to be left for the poor. That was to be left for the widows, the fatherless, the orphans, the poor who could not afford to have their own field. They could come up, they could harvest that. Now that may be for their own household, that may be to sell. If you were to, and then as you harvested your field, there obviously as you're loading it up on, on, the, uh, on the trailers and all of that, things are going to fall on the ground. Well, Sometimes they would go back over their field and pick all that up. But the Jewish people understood something very important. You want to be clean before God, and he says it a lot in the Old Testament, take care of the poor. You want to be clean before God, be generous to the poor. Be generous to the poor. And so they would leave some on the floor, and then people could come, and they could grab it. It was an understanding that Jesus was talking to them. He says, listen, you know this. You guys know this. You really want to be clean? You're so concerned with being pure on the outside that you forget about the poor. You really want to be clean? You're not clean in my eyes until you take care of the poor. It's one of the reasons we do Dollar Club here at Northgate. It's one of the things I'm most proud of that we do here. This church gives a lot to a lot of people. A Dollar Club, if you don't know what it is, we give a dollar for every person attending. So if there's 500, 600, 700 people, man, woman, and child here on a weekend, we assign a dollar for that. 
We ask that our church, every, every one of you give an extra dollar in your tithes for every person in your family. But if you don't, we still assign a dollar for you. We started doing this in January when dollars were very scarce here. Not that money's totally changed, but we've been able to give out so much money to so many people every week. If there's 500 people here, we're giving a $500 check to somebody for something. Every week we're doing that. And we find that it's truly important that if you want to be clean, we've got a great building We've got a great facility, we've got great teamwork, we've got great things, but if you really want to be careful before the Lord and you want to be clean before the Lord, you've got to take care of the poor. You've got to take care of the poor. Amen. That'll preach right there. I'm done. This is great. <laughs> so next we go into the Pharisees' woes. Okay, so Jesus is talking about that. He addresses their purity. He addresses their, their strength. Next, we're going to the Pharisees' woes. And as we read these woes of the Pharisees and then later the lawmakers' woes, we're going to find out something very important about the word woe real quick. Woe is not when he, Jesus is saying these things. He's saying some pretty harsh things. But it could be that he's saying like, woe, woe, woe to you and woe to you and woe to that. But he's not. The word woe is actually could be translated alas. And it's spoken in grief, in sadness. So Jesus is kicking back at the table and he says, you guys... You're missing it all. Whoa. Whoa. It's so sad. He's not coming at them and just flat out backhanding them left and right. He's saying, you guys are missing this. Whoa. So as we read it, it'll be important to understand what that means, okay? Let's read verse 40, um, 42. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. It was a concept in the Old Testament that you would give a 10% of your tithes. Your, your tithes would be 10% of your assets, your income, and all your belongings that would be given to God, essentially. Now, was, that was something that, that they held very true. And because these, the Pharisees wanted to be so true to the Torah, the, five, the five, first five books of the Old Testament, the law, they did give it. And not only did they give that, they went into their spice cabinet and loaded out 10% of all their spices and gave that. They went all the way down to that respect. But Jesus says, he says, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect justice and the love of God. So he's like, you know what? That's great. He doesn't discount it. He says, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former alone. That's great. Give 10%. Do it. Do it diligently. Do it so diligently you're going into your spice cabinet and laying it out. Now, we don't want your spices here. We don't need them. But do it diligently. Do it diligently. But don't forget about justice and don't forget about loving God. It doesn't make any sense for you to do all that and not do this piece of it. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about it. God continually cares about what's internal and what's in your heart. Let's read verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in synagogues and respectful greetings in marketplaces. They want to be seen as important. The funniest thing to me is when a, when a celebrity goes to one of the hottest clubs in L.A., and then there seems to be paparazzi that show up, and then those paparazzi seem to take a lot of pictures of them, and then they seem to say, oh my gosh, the paparazzi, you showed up to the hottest club in, in, in L.A., of course the paparazzi are going to be there. You wanted to be seen as important, right? Does that make sense? This is what exactly they're doing. They're going to the most important places, and they're being in the most important positions because they want to be seen as important. Okay? It's, not so, it's, it, it, it's not so critical that they actually are important. It's critical to them that they feel important or that they look important. And Jesus is saying, man, you guys are missing that. 
be much better for you to actually be important than just to look it. Verse 44 says, Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves when people walk over you without even knowing it. You can imagine a culture that takes purity and, and cleanliness and incredibly important that being with the dead would be something that would be incredibly unclean. So if you were to walk over or in somebody's grave, you would have a whole cleansing ritual to do so. And Jesus says, the inside of your heart is so messed up that when somebody is near you, they are walking over an unclean grave and they have to get washed out again. They have to get washed out again. How many of you guys have ever been around a negative person? Jeez, it's a lot of negative people. Does that wear off on you? Yeah, it wears off on you. There's no way it can't. How many of you guys have been around a really happy, generous person? And does that wear off on you? Yeah. Because the negative person could be out there doing all the right things, but inside their heart is so brutally twisted and torn and it's full of anger and lust and all different sorts of things that it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. Being around people simply corrupts them. We have the capacity to do that with our lives. Does the inside of our hearts, does the inside of our lives, does our spirit, our soul, does that corrupt people or does that lift people up? And Jesus is saying, man, you're so concerned about the outside, yet you're so dirty on the inside. You're so full of sin and guilt and and death that people walk over you or walk near you. And just by being around you, they're infected. They're infected and they've got to get clean. The Pharisees weren't so far from the blessings of God, but they were far from understanding that the blessings of God come when you truly love him, when you do his will. Then and only then does God have the ability to bless your life. Does that make sense? Okay. I, I like an interactive message, so you can say yes. We're preaching on, preaching on. <laughs> so, as we keep reading, we, uh, we find there are other people in the room, and this is one of my favorite pieces of this whole scripture. It's like Jesus is talking to the Pharisees over here, and then this guy says, hey, wait up, Jesus, and Jesus just goes, <laughs> boom. He's like in Jesus' crosshairs now. This guy says in verse 45, one of the experts of the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, what did you just say? And the guy is thinking, man, does Jesus really want to pick a fight with everybody in this room right now? I'm not sure that he really wants to do that. So I'm going to ask him and see if I can just shut it down a little bit. And Jesus is like, you want the thunder? I'm bringing the thunder. He lays it out on him in these next little pieces. It's, it's, It's also important to figure out who the lawmakers are. Now, lawmakers could have been lawyers. Lawmakers could have been rabbis who made the law. Lawmakers could have been scribes who wrote down the law. There's a lot of times when it says lawmakers, and you kind of have to understand the story to understand who's being talked to. But in this context, these are guys who actually make laws. And they would do a thing called fencing the law. If the Torah, the first five books, remember, of the Old Testament were the essential law of the nation of Israel, what happens if you break one of those laws? You have to make it right with God. The law was established in order to have a conversation and have a connection with a God who was holy and pure. So there's the law, and they didn't want you to have to break the law. So they did a thing called fencing the law. They would create laws that are outside the Torah. So ultimately, if you broke one of these laws, you didn't break the law. Does that make sense? So they created so many, so many laws, and it's really important to understand that concept because you won't understand why Jesus is saying what he is unless you do. Fencing the law, like for example... The, one of the laws in the Torah is, uh, is remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You can't be working, you can't overexert yourself. So, um, so then somebody says, well, like, uh, can I even leave my house? So, so when the lawmaker says, okay, well, then we should make a law about that. Um, 
yeah, you can walk from your house, but only so far, and then you're not breaking the law anymore. And so, okay, that's a new law. They put a fence around that. So they allowed some grace in there. So what they would do is people would do, they'd take off their shoes the day before, they'd set them way out there. They'd, on Sabbath, get to walk out to their shoes, establish that, and all of a sudden they're home again. They get to walk a little bit farther. They would fence the law so that ultimately you didn't break the law. Beggars in the streets would only be able to move their, their, their mats so far. They established rules and rules and rules and rules and rules on top of rules so that you couldn't break the law. That's these guys who we're going to be talking about here. That's these lawmakers. It says to you, he gets into the woes of the lawmakers. It says, Jesus replied, and again, this guy just, just asked for it. Who knew if this statement would have come if he didn't ask for it? But he did, so here it comes. It says, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That word burdens in Greek is actually double burdens. It's representative of cargo on a ship. So it's saying, you put burdens on people they can't take care of. You, there's no way they could physically carry all of these laws you've created. There's no way. And the law is created in order to have a conversation, to have a relationship with God. And you're making it so they can't even do that. You've created so much of a burden. And what happens in, in, like, in the NASB, it's, uh, in the New American Standard, it's, it's translated even differently. It says this, Woe to you lawyers for, as well, for you weigh men down with your burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So it's insinuated in quite a few other translations that they would create these laws and they wouldn't follow him. We don't know anybody like that, though, do we? <laughs> Let's not go there. They would create these laws, and not only would they not help other people to engage and interact in that, they themselves wouldn't interact with the laws that they made. They made it impossible. Let's keep reading verses 47 through 51. It says, Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who is killed between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. So he's saying, you don't even remember your own history. Here you are cleaning and decorating the tombs of the prophets who have been killed. Guess who they were killed by? You guys. <laughs> what you're doing is you're trying to make it look nice, that you're trying to celebrate these, these prophets that were killed by your ancestors. You're not even taking responsibility. You're saying, oh my gosh, isn't that so beautiful? We're going to clean these up and fix these up, and it's so beautiful. You're not even remembering your own history. You're not even asking for repentance of that. You're celebrating the fact that these men have died, but you're not necessarily remembering why they died. It's because your ancestors killed them. Your ancestors killed them. It's crazy. Let's go on to verse 52. It doesn't matter how much you publicly pronounce your purity or your piousness. If it's not there, it's not there. Let's go to verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. They had enough knowledge to know that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. There was a lot of old prophets that said who the Messiah would be, and they had enough knowledge of those laws and those prophecies to know that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was the Messiah, and yet Jesus was standing right in front of them, and they couldn't figure it out. They could not figure it out. They could not testify to that. 
They were so stuck in their own world of laws, they forgot what the laws were supposed to do, and the laws were supposed to bring freedom. The laws were supposed to bring a relationship, and yet they had created so many more laws that that couldn't even happen. Have you ever done that? Made so many rules that people get stuck in the rules and they don't get into the relationship? Maybe? Nobody? Oh, I know the church has never done this. It's never said you've got to act this way. It's never said you've got to look this way. It's never said you've got to be this way. It's never said you've got to vote this way. Too soon? <laughs> I'll just say this about it. Here at Northgate, we don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. My king was never voted in. He can't be voted out. And if Jesus is the king of kings and he's on the throne, it doesn't matter who is in there. Okay? That's all I got to say about that. I got to No, I'm no, no. But man, I can tell you, I have been told those things. If you're really a Christian, you would vote this way. If you're really a Christian, you would act this way. If you're truly a Christian, you would follow these things, but I don't see you following these things, so I just don't, I don't know. I don't know, Jesse. I don't know if uh, you're saved or not. I know that there are people in this room that have been told the same thing. I know there's people in this room that have been persecuted for the same things. I know that's happened. Just like the lawmakers, there's so many laws and rules created that people can't even see Jesus, and he's standing right in front of them. Standing right in front of them. He's right there, and he's talking to them, and they're like, wait a second, that doesn't fit our mold, that doesn't fit our rules, that doesn't fit our voting schedules, that doesn't fit any of that. That's not Jesus. And the problem is, is they knew that it should be. They knew. They had enough knowledge. They didn't go there. Jesus may be right in front of us, but we can miss him. And, if we, keep, and we might be able to keep others from seeing him too. Some of us have been responsible for people walking away from the church because we've said, if you don't act this way, if you don't look this way, if you don't do these things, I don't know that you should be around here. That's happened, friends. And if we want to change the way people view the church, we've got to start seeing it as Jesus did. We've got to start seeing it as Jesus did. If you know the truth and you can't show the truth, then it doesn't mean a thing. With that, Jesus finishes and he walks outside where they attempt to ensnare him with his words, the whole time plotting on how to get rid of him. You know what my advice would be to the Pharisee who invited Jesus into his house? Let's go to that. When you ask Jesus in your house, be ready for it to get messy. When you ask Jesus into your house, be ready for it to get messy because he has the ability to turn things upside down. Amen. And when you ask Jesus into your own heart and when he becomes a part of your life, he has the ability to mess things up. Praise God he has the ability to mess things up. And that's a reality. If you, <laughs> when you ask Jesus, don't be surprised. Jesus, come on in here, but don't like disturb the furniture, please, and leave the plastic on the chairs because the kids are messy. Don't be, don't be surprised when that happens. He doesn't mess it up for the worse. You don't become an ultimately bad person. You don't become a more spiteful, hateful, hurtful um, person. You don't, none of that is a part of Jesus' vocabulary. He turns it upside down, and he finds those areas of your life where you're saying, I'm, I'm not going to give that up. And he says, boop, I'm turning it upside down. And so they couldn't have been surprised. Don't ask Jesus in your house and expect it not to get messy. 
It might be easy for us to say when we're thinking about Jesus and in, in this time. It might be easy for us to say, preach it. Preach it, Jesus. Yeah, you go get those Pharisees. You go get those lawmakers. You rile them up. It's really easy for us to say that. But the reality is, the reality is, I'm a Pharisee at times. I've been a lawmaker before. I've done those things. Am I like the Pharisee? I've taken more time to care for what people think of me on the outside than the time I spend with my Jesus on the inside or the time I let him clean my heart and my soul out? Am I like that? that I care so much about what even you guys would think of me, that I would make an appearance to look great, but inside I'm, I'm filthy? No. I've been that way before. Am I like the lawmakers? I've created a checklist of things for people to call themselves Christians. Have I done that? Have you done that? The answer is probably yeah. We've all done it. We've all said that people should act this way, look this way, vote this way, do this thing. We've all been there. So here's our way of changing the, changing the way people view the church this week. Let's go to that. I want you to hold the door for people throughout your week. I want you to hold the door for people throughout your week. When you come up to a door in a coffee shop, your house, when you come up to your place of business, when you come anywhere, I want you to physically go open the door, and if anybody's around, I want you to hold the door for them. I want you to hold the door for them. Because what happens is you're saying, you know what, I'm going to be the door opener today. Am I standing in the way of this person getting to know Jesus? Am I not changing the way they view church? Do they view themselves as an outcast in church? Am I, am I doing that? Boom, you open it up. You open it up. Open up physical doors all week long. I hope that it's super cold in our lobby today because everybody's like, oh my gosh, how long do I have to hold this door today? <laughs> it's incredibly important that we're not the reason people don't get to see Jesus. It's incredibly important. So I want you just to physically, when you see some door, open it up. If somebody's near you, hold it for them. And just keep thinking. I could be the reason they come to know Jesus, and I could be the reason they walk away from him. Which one do you want to be today? That's what we're doing when we're doing that. It'll be a reminder. If you want to change the way people view the church, it's got to be about more than a great church service on Sunday or a deep Bible study on Wednesday. It's got to be about each one of us asking God to cleanse the inside of our hearts every day. And we've got to be about serving the poor, the outcasts, the fatherless, the widows. We've got to be about justice, and we've got to be about love. That's what Jesus says. Come in here all you want on a Sunday. Raise your hands and worship. Come in here all you want and do a Bible study. Come in here all you want and do all the many different things that we would say, that's great. But if your hearts are dirty, if your hearts are messy, if you are coming in here and doing those things, I guarantee you, guess what? Jesus won't be impressed. And he's not impressed with me when I do it. You know what they say about anytime you point fingers, there's three fingers pointing back at you. He's not going to be impressed. He's not going to be impressed. Quite often I think he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys have it so wrong. I'm standing here in front of you and you got it so wrong. And ask the worship team to come up as we kind of close this down. Some of us have been in that situation. Some of us in this room right now have said, I walked away from religion. I walked away from relationship with Jesus Christ. I walked away from church because of something like this. Some of us have been the person to do that. And inside your hearts, I know you're thinking about it a little bit. Inside your hearts, I know you're thinking about it a little bit. 
But the reality is, is that we have the shot to show people Jesus. And this morning, I hope that you saw him. Did you learn something new today? I hope that you saw him. He's standing right there, right in front of you. And he wants to come into your house and he wants to mess it up. He wants to play with your toys. He wants to come in and screw with your life to make it even that much better. He's not going to come in and start pointing fingers all over the place and saying, look at you doing this. Look at you, you're doing this. Look at you, you're doing this. He's saying, whoa, come here. Come here, little one. Come here, child of mine. Come here. Whoa, you're missing it. You're missing it. All these things you do are great over here, but you're missing it over here. So I just want to take a minute where we just think about that. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes, we're just going to take a moment. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.